Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As longtime listeners of our broadcast know, each and every week, a guest and I explore the nuanced meanings of the Torah portions, the weekly readings that are offered on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday Shabbat in synagogues throughout the world. This week, our Torah portion comes from the book of Genesis, Bereshit, beginning in chapter 41 and ending in chapter 44. It's called Miketz, and it's the continuation of the Joseph saga. Though we won't be able to discuss all of the interesting aspects of the parasha, let me give you an overview so you have a context for our conversation that will follow. Joseph is imprisoned in Egypt, and his imprisonment finally ends when Pharaoh dreams of seven fat cows that are swallowed up by seven lean cows and seven fat ears of grain swallowed up by seven lean ears. Joseph interprets the dreams to mean that there will be seven years of plenty, which will be followed by seven years of hunger, and advises Pharaoh to store grain during the plentiful years. Pharaoh appoints Joseph governor of Egypt, and Joseph marries an Egyptian woman, daughter of Potiphar, who we learned of in last week's Torah portion, um, and they have two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, who will become part of the lineage of the children of Israel. Famine spreads throughout the region, and food can be obtained only in Egypt. Ten of Joseph's brothers, the sons of uh, Jacob, come to Egypt to purchase grain, The younger one, Benjamin, stays home, for Jacob fears for his safety. Joseph recognizes his brother that they don't recognize him. He accuses them of being spies rather than revealing himself to them, and insists that they bring Benjamin back to Egypt so that they may prove who they really are. He imprisons Simeon as a hostage. Later, they discovered that the money they paid for their provisions has mysteriously been returned to them. Jacob agrees to send Benjamin only after Judah assumes personal and eternal responsibility for him. This time, Joseph receives them kindly, releases Simeon, who had stayed behind as a hostage, and invites them to an eventful dinner at their home. But when and then he plants a silver goblet purportedly imbued with magic powers in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers set out for home the next morning, they are pursued by officers of Joseph, searched and arrested when the goblet is discovered. Joseph offers to set them free and retain only Benjamin as his slave. 
the Torah portion ends at that point, leaving us wanting to know how this saga will continue. With me this morning is Rabbi Jonathan Stein, a native of Pennsylvania who was ordained in 1975 from the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. And in 2000, he was awarded an honorary doctorate from the same seminary. From 1994 through 2001, Rabbi Stein served as a senior rabbi of Congregation Beth Israel in San Diego, California. He also served as president of the Central Conference of American Rabbis, and for two years, he was, um, in addition, the editor of the Journal of the Central Conference of American Rabbis. He also has served as rabbi of Sharei Tefillah, senior rabbi of Sharei Tefillah in New York City, and he has served on numerous communal and national uh, boards. He is known as an excellent teacher and certainly someone who understands the value of a uh, interpreting Torah. Jonathan Stein, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Uh, thank you, uh, <laughs> Rabbi Garten. Um, I appreciate the invitation. Um, uh, I think it sounds better than reality, but that's really nice. <laughs> uh, well, for most of us, for most of us at our age, reality is somewhat um, disconnected to what's taken place in our careers. Um, uh, Rabbi Stein, um, the Torah portion begins with the reader hearing the dreams of uh, the Pharaoh, as I uh, indicated in my overview. Dreams that are well known to individuals who know the Joseph story or may have even seen the show, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, and from the show, we know that Joseph is known as an interpreter of dreams. In previous parashiot, he interpreted dreams for the baker and the butler in prison. And at the beginning of this saga, he uh, interpreted dreams for his brothers. So let's begin by um, discussing what's the meaning of dreams in this epic. Though we should parenthetically, of course, say that Jacob, his uh, father, also had dreams. Um, so why does the Torah seem to have such an interest in dreams and interpretation of dreams? Very important question, actually. Um, and I'm glad you pointed out that um, it's not just in this parasha uh, that Jacob has the famous dream with his head on the rock and angels going up and down on the ladder and um, the previous Torah portion, of course. Our ancestors didn't have a concept of the subconscious the way we do today, starting with Freud, so that we understand dreams as a manifestation of our inner life. 
in biblical times, that was not how they functioned. They functioned more in the area of magic and prophecy. Um, the interpretation of dreams is almost always about the future. Um, and so it, it serves a different purpose. Um, I just want to point out one thing that um, is of some interest to me in the Torah portion. You mentioned that um, uh, Joseph married the daughter of uh, Potipharah. Um, it's, as, as you know from the Hebrew, most people associate Potipharah with Potiphar, whom, whose wife Joseph had rejected after sexual advances in the previous parasha. Um, and it's clearly, if it's not literally Potiphar, it's certainly a pun. But the word that I th is repeated over and over again is the word poter, to interpret. And it's not exact, but poter reminds me of Potiphar. It's lacking the fey. But there's an assonance. There's a sound alike with it. And I think it's used in the story as a literary um, rhyme, not just the word um, of interpreting. So dreams are interpretations for the future. And I suppose that's in juxtaposition to how we understand Freud's interpretation and psychoanalysis in which dreams are often a reflection of the past. Yeah. Um, and so the Hebrew text talks about dreams as a reflection of the future. But you indicated, of course, that the Torah um, sees them in the context of magic and prophecy, but the Torah... Um, in the book of Leviticus, is very um, negatively disposed to sorcery and magic and false prophets. Is there something in our Torah portion that gives us some sense of what is the proper use of dreams or the proper interpretation of dreams? That's a really good question. Um, and of course... That's two that you brought. <laughs> We're good. Leviticus, of course, is so negative about all kinds of different, I want to say people, who do different stuff. Um, you know, consulting the dead and calling on their gods and with the prophet Elijah to do all kinds of things. I think the difference is that the dream comes internally. It comes out of the person no matter where its origin is. It's inside. The other are people who seek from the outside this magic, superstitious, whatever you want to call it, um, aspect of life that they reinterpret, but it's not inside of them as a predictor of the future. So uh, I think that's an important way that it functions. Um, I want to pursue that a bit more, if I could. Um, in the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob stories, um, though the narrative often seems to be um, 
one in which God is not necessarily front and center, God does appear quite often. In the um, stories of Joseph, it's not clear what role God plays, except for one line, which at first glance seems to be a throwaway. (laughs) When Joseph says, I don't interpret God, uh, dreams, God gives me the power to do so. I'm paraphrasing the verse there. And I'm wondering um, what your thoughts are and how you understand this um, seemingly um, disconnected um, insertion about God's presence in the story. And of course, this is not unusual. We see it in the Purim story as well, in which there seems to be a throwaway interpretation about God's presence when God is never mentioned in the story. Um, And one might even say that Hanukkah, which uh, the Jewish people are celebrating as we record this, in the initial story, it's not clear what role God plays. Um, as the books of Maccabee present it. Uh, So with that, how do you understand this verse, which seems to place God in the center of these interpretations? God clearly doesn't play a direct role. God doesn't intervene, interfere. There's no miracles, nothing that happens in other places in the Torah. You're totally right. God is removed from the narrative. God is brought in only by Joseph. And the traditional understanding is it's about Joseph's humility, that despite the dream that he had about him ruling over his brothers and the the angry divisions that that um, created between the brothers— Later, Joseph keeps repeating this, that it's not him, it's God. Now, maybe that is part of the biblical understanding of dreams, but it seems more likely to me that Joseph is invoking God because of who Pharaoh thinks he is. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh plays God in in Egyptian mythology and history. And a lot of the story, not only of Joseph, I think, but of the Exodus, is about establishing God as opposed to Pharaoh. So I think that also plays a role here. So you're um, um, suggesting there's a little foreshadowing that Many people will know that when we get to the book of Exodus, which is only a couple of weeks away in the cycle of Torah readings, um, it begins by telling us that there was a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, um, and the confrontation that eventually takes place between Moses and Pharaoh appears to be a confrontation with Moses representing the Hebrew god and Pharaoh being the god of the Egyptians. And you're suggesting that perhaps when Moses says to Pharaoh, I don't do this, God does it. It's kind of a sense, Pharaoh, my dear, 
You may be God, but you can't interpret dreams, but my God, um, even though um, Joseph is not offered in the text as one who was presented as God-fearing or has ongoing conversations with God, um, at this moment of introduction, you're suggesting to the preeminent God of Egypt, um, the text uh, places in Joseph's mouth kind of words identifying his authenticity. Yes. Yeah. It does, and it establishes his relationship with Pharaoh as God's messenger. There's an interesting piece of the text um, in Hebrew uh, that I was looking at, which says that Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's dream, it says he was standing al hayor, which means literally on the Nile. And it's all, the word al is clearly on. It's not next to, which would have been HL or whatever. It's not in the water, a different Hebrew. It's on the water. Now, the idea, you'll excuse me, of walking on water <laughs> or standing on water is a God event. No human being can do that. Sometimes it's translated as next to the Nile or looking over the Nile, but I think the plain Hebrew is very clear, and it does set him up as superhuman. He's on the water. It sets him up as the uh, divinity who needs Joseph to interpret. Right. But Joseph, as you've suggested, represents a different divinity, a different deity. Yeah. And in some way, that deity must be more powerful if we follow the logic, because the pharaoh who can stand on water <laughs> can't interpret his own dreams. Right. That's exactly right. Now, the notion of dreams... Um, continues to be of great interest throughout Jewish history. Um, you are familiar with the medieval philosopher Maimonides, who wrote a significant um, document called the Guide to the Perplexed, the Mora Nebuchim, in which he thought um, dreams were the essential mark of uh, a true prophet. The quiddity of and, prophecy. Exactly. And I'm wondering, um, though it may resonate as a question coming from your student days, um, if you could enlighten our listeners about Maimonides' understanding of dreams, which really um, is not... Um, can, um, conjoint with the biblical understanding. Um, I'm going to have to reflect that back to you because I'm not sure exactly how to uh, respond to your question. I, so, I am not, I don't know enough about Rambam to answer the question without your help. Well, I was thinking as I was um, considering the notion of dreams that 
you indicated as we began our show this morning that biblical dreams are about the future. And dreams about the future are often associated with prophecy. Um, but Rambam, Maimonides, that medieval Spanish philosopher, was interested in how did we understand real prophecy. Um, and he wanted to um, understand whether somebody like Joseph should be called a prophet um, and whether the prophets that we know of in the books of prophets, the named prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and Isaiah and um, others um, who are identified as prophets, whether their apprehension of the future was through dreams or whether dreams was a lower level of prophecy. And I'm just wondering if you had a thought about that. And if you don't, we can move on. <laughs> well, um, I'm sorry for my sort of laugh because you and I studied this together um, in the early 1950 years ago. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just strikes me. Um, Maimonides, of course. Well, my memory was that you understood it, um, as opposed to others of us who struggled greatly to understand Maimonides. Um, I understood almost nothing, except I actually, but I do remember that we had to translate it exactly as the professor said. So, okay. Maimonides so, is a total rationalist, as you know. Right. Maimonides is interested in thinking through things. He's not very much on, um, you know, other kinds of philosophy. So I'm not, I don't know, how does that play into the dream thing? Well, I, you know, I don't know for sure, uh, because I, too, am not an expert in Maimonides. But what I was hinting at is, that Maimonides, as a, a rationalist, um, thought that dreams represented a lower level of prophecy, um, and that he wanted to ensure, as I remember it, that somebody like Joseph was not able to rise to the level of prophecy uh, be, and he juxtaposed it to Moses, who never has a dream with regard to God. He sees God face to face. He has conversations with God. He apprehends God in a unique way. Um, and this verse in the Torah in which Joseph says, um, I don't interpret dreams. I simply am a conduit from God. Um, struck Maimonides as a real challenge. And you and I are both aware, both in Jewish history and in history of other traditions, there's always a question is, who is a true prophet? I think that's really what I wanted us to kind of um, chat about. Um, who is a true prophet? Um, and Maimonides wanted to eliminate Joseph from that conversation, I would suggest. Right. Well, you remember in other places in the Torah, we're actually told uh, by the text 
um, who we should follow and who we should not follow. And it has to do again with the with the future. If the prediction right. comes true, clearly this prophet is is right. And so um, the the Torah gives us that measure. Uh, but that's not uh, that's too easy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if if somebody predicts something and it comes true, the person is a prophet. Today we're not really sure about that anyway. Um, but I am reminded of a um, of a quote from Albert Einstein, who is reputed to have said that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Oh, I like that. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And God plays this behind-the-scenes role here, brought out by Joseph. But some of the tradition looks at this and say, well, the timing of this had to be preordained. You know how in Avot it says certain things were created Right. at that moment so that they would appear later at the right moment in history. So, so I just want to uh, clarify for our listeners, uh, Rabbi Stein is referring to a book entitled Pirkei Avot, the, usually translated as The Ethics of Our Ancestors, which is a second century of the Common Era document, um, mostly speaking about ethics, but giving aphorisms of Jewish uh, ethical life. And one of the uh, aphorisms suggests that 10 miracles were created uh, even before the world was created. Right. I think that's what you're referring to. Yes, yes? I am. And, and okay. there are commentaries that indicate that that same thing is operational here, that the whole thing was set up ahead of time at creation. Good. In the few minutes that we have left, I just want to ask your take on this um, interesting interchange between Joseph and his brothers. Joseph sees his brothers and doesn't reveal himself to them. And he does that twice. And twice he kind of um, holds them captive, all uh, ostensibly in the name of meeting his younger brother, who I guess he's never met, really, um, perhaps born after his um, descent into Egypt. But it strikes me that this notion of deceit is very much like his father, Jacob. (laughs) And I'm wondering how, if you see the Torah as making this interesting comparison, Jacob the deceiver, um, and Joseph. I, I, I really like that. I've never thought about it in that way. And you're so right. Maybe Joseph learned some of this stuff, actually, at the feet of his father, who favors him with this famous coat that, that he gives to him. Um, and yes, Joseph deceives his brothers a number of times in the story. Is it revenge on his part? Is it the fulfillment of his original dream that he was going to rule over them? It's hard to know because the Torah doesn't give us people's internal life. 
It doesn't tell us about what they're thinking and feeling. It only tells us their outward behavior. So we don't really know his motivation, but clearly he's playing with them. There is a little cat and mouse game going on here. And if it's not revenge in a physical way, he is manipulating them back and forth to their father and Benjamin and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm struck, of course, by how the text tells us that Joseph was not recognized by his brothers. Um, and Joseph would have been dressed as an Egyptian. And of course, in his father's life, his father dresses um, as his brother to hide uh, his identity from his blinded, aged father. And there are so many interesting parallels here. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Jonathan Stein, um, last serving as senior rabbi at Shari Tefila in uh, New York City. I want to thank him for joining with us this morning thank you. and helping us understand this uh, Torah portion. You can find a podcast of this morning's show on iTunes or the chri.ca website. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Thank you for listening. Shalom and have a good day.